Welcome to the Prime Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. And where are we today, Dan? Well, still in the abyss, of course. Uh, but uh, there's hope, I think. But uh, we're in the eighth layer, correct? We are in the eighth layer. We've, we've we- broken through the seventh layer of, of this abyssal burrito, and now we're, in, we're down in the eighth layer. Which I've been told by the internets is the skin shedder uh, layer. And uh, if we stay here too long, apparently our souls will be corrupted. I mean, isn't that, isn't that go without saying for really any of the layers of the abyss? Yeah, I assume that's kind of like when you get to the first layer, you know, like when you go to Disney, here are the rules. That should be on all layers, that your soul will right. be corrupted. Does it? I don't it's th- on the back of your ticket, a right. waiver. That's right. It's part of the waiver. Your soul, uh, <laughs> you agree that your soul may be corrupted during this, during your visit here to the abyss. I didn't realize right. you needed, uh, after each layer, they have to kind of warn you of that. That does seem, that does seem kind of odd. But uh, yes, eighth layer of the abyss. And, uh, you know, uh, in my Zoom, uh, like a lot of folks, I'm using Zoom at work and I was in an atomic bomb shelter as my background. Now I'm standing outside the shelter because, you know, they're letting some of the, uh, letting some of the uh, restrictions up. I'm not quite sure what's changed. I guess apparently I got a tweet one time. They said the, the reason they're letting it up because they have room in the ICU now. It's, there's nothing really changed, you know. It's just they have room for you if you need to get hospitalized. I think that's, I think that's right. I, I think people become tired of... The status quo, right? It's simple as that. So, but that's political. We're about D and D. Well, it's not really political. It's it's that uh, apparently uh, people are bored, which is but that's good for us because we've been getting such great guests, and we have uh, we should have today Jody Nyon at ten, and next week who do we have coming is uh, up? Zeb Cook. Zeb Cook, the one, the only. So we're very excited about that. And next month we're. Got a couple of guests we've talked about as well, so that's super exciting. So, so let's make it clear: official Grog Talk policy is it is too soon to open up. Right. It's not the science is not settled. <laughs> we need so in other words, the economy is goes this way, but we're we're these actors. We're kind of like a bankruptcy attorney, right? When the economy goes goes poorly, right. we get more business. Right, exactly. So, so our economy is booming. The Grog Talk economy is booming. Unfortunately, we don't have any sponsors. That's right. <laughs> we have, but we do have patrons. And, That's true. And we're that very fortunate because many of them are on. Are They're online right now. The Captain General is on. Uh, let's see who else is on. We have the Master's Most Majestic Suzerain is on. Our, our dear friend, um, just looking real quickly, the Chamberlain is on. So a lot of folks are on. So again, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to all of you. So let's continue. So we, we're still hopeful that, you know, the pandemic will be, uh, will allow us to have GrogCon October 9th through the 11th. You know, that's another thing that could come up. You know, we already had, I think we got some interest from, uh, Lou Pulsifer maybe wants to come down, or Alan Hammock. I mean, if we made the offer properly, they may come down. So this could be a star-studded event thanks to this pandemic. That's 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 true. 
So that's true. If you are, if if you feel like spending quality time in an airplane with other potentially infected people, or driving with your family down to Orlando, Florida, October 9th through the 11th, and then spending other time with immunocompromised elderly people, come down to our convention. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, because I think we might be able to work out a deal where we can get some middle seat tickets for guests. That's all we could afford. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, there's there's the there's the fee for every other seat, which will be the normal price, and then the free if you want to sit between people. That's the, right. that's the discounted one. That's that yeah. that sounds good. I like that. I'm curious how many people will pick take that up. My uh, my sister in law, she came down from Ohio on a flight to florida it was like 20 dollars, but the plane was packed so i'm like yeah you're better than me good for you um let's see giveaways uh you know we're waiting for and i love bothering vic dorso about waiting for our keep it blood red falls because um we're going to give away one of the things that we got from our uh our supporting of that kickstarter so uh once we get that we will send that off and also uh, uh, to the Chamberlain, who was the winner of our great uh, thing that Vic created. I shipped that this week, finally. I, I, bro- I donned masks and PPE and went to the post office and, and dumped that off. So uh, hopefully you should be getting that. I don't know how long it takes, probably six to 12 months, but uh, you should get it. Hopefully it's on, it's, it's, on a, it's on a boat. It's on a slow boat to Australia, which is near China or Asia or something like that. So we're looking forward to that. Um, so, but again, thank you to our patrons. We have two new patrons that popped up. So in the next week or two, we're going to have to give out some more titles. Very exciting. Uh, the Swedish Challenge, we actually got a nice bump with uh, Lou and some other folks. So we're, we're doing pretty well with that. But we still haven't made the top 10 in a very long time in, in any of these countries. Which w- uh, And the Swedish Challenge, apparently, they didn't really lock down. So now would be the time to go there. Because by the time we get there, you know, everyone will have been infected. So we'll be pretty safe. So that'll be nice. Yeah. We were playing the long game on that one. <laughs> we knew that they would inf- have themselves all infected and, you know, all that would be taken care of when we got there. That's excellent. So uh, iTunes reviews, a Max nickname whiz uh, said, very grateful for the work Dan and James have done to help people learn and appreciate first edition. Although I can't wait for James to baptize Dan ooh, in the Lost Minds of Fandelver, 5E. It's very trendy to port 1E classic modules to 5E. What about the other way around? Dan and James must start the 5E to 1E module movement. Well, there you go. Well, I think you can, you can travel to the past, but can you travel to the future? Unless you have a DeLorean. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to work on me. I'd be very resistant to this. Well, I, I couldn't tell you it. You know, it's kind of like when your spouse or who's trying to make you feel healthy or eat healthy and they give you tofu or something like yeah. that. Oh, look, we're having fajitas. And you're like, oh, that was pretty good. Oh, yeah? Did you really like it? And then, you know, okay, what did you do? Uh, so what you're saying is you're going to, like, wrap it in, like, 1E garb. Right. Like, hey, look, this is a little, an obscure 1E adventure. You should run it, Dan. Right. I, I'd have okay. to convert it, uh, first of all. Uh, for you and then hand it to you like, oh, I found this in a, a Slovenian uh, RPG magazine from the 1980s. Right. Ooh, right. Slovenia, that's great. <laughs> Let's run it. <laughs> and then you'd play it and like, oh, that wasn't too bad. Uh-huh, well, you just played this fifth edition uh, uh, module. So 
Yes, Bucky. Yeah. Do we want Dragonborn Tiefling? Exactly. I don't. I that would be that. That you have to get. You have to strip all that out. Uh, you can't have that, or else uh, Dan would be wise to it. That's like leaving the the tofu wrapper out yeah. in the garbage. You gotta. You can't even have the garbage in there. You gotta take it to the neighbor's house so they don't know. They can't smell the the goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the 5e stench <laughs> you gotta clean it off smells like 5e <laughs> some stinks well it's, <laughs> it's interesting because obviously like you know these the modules this is a module in fifth edition it's a book what yeah this is because it's the whole campaign that's what they do every three months oh, no. so i i don't really know how you would convert this i mean i'm sure it's possible i mean it's similar to you know what i'm sure you know this in at the at the end of 1.0 to 1.5, they started bundling all the um, adventures, like A1 through A4. Yeah. They created Against the Slavers and, you know, Against yeah. the Giants, that kind of mega module. So I, but that was really past when we were, were, were doing this. We really were more in the, here's an adventure. It was kind of a standalone thing and you have to, uh, you know, and you have to go through each one. And it was the dungeon master's job to tie them together. So, but Fandelver is is the starter kit uh, uh, introductory module. It's not the, as massive as that. So it's more of a traditional ad- adventure. And it's, and it's pretty good, but it is fifth edition. You have to make some conversions. And, and there has been a couple of people who wanted to know how we convert, like, for instance, basic to advanced D&D. And so if we have time today, we may do that. But we always say that, and we didn't do that. So, uh, so again, thank you. If you like what we're doing and you listen to us on the podcast, please put a review on iTunes. Uh, we're also on Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, and a bunch of other ones. But that's always super fun when we get a review. So, Dan, why don't you introduce our guest? So it is our pleasure today to have Jody Lynn Nye on the show. So uh, Jody is an American science fiction writer. She's the author and co-author of approximately 40 published novels and more than 100 short stories, or at least that's what Wikipedia tells us. Uh, Wikipedia needs to be updated. It's more like 50 and 170. Wow. I always wondered about that, that people have Wikipedia pages. You know, do they go on to their page and, and, and update it and make sure it's all accurate? No, it's up to us or, or <laughs> friends of. Okay, so there is so somebody out there, please update Jody's Wikipedia page. But and, you know, she's done a lot of amazing things uh, for our fans. They might be interested to know that she wrote what, apparently companion books for the Dragon Riders of Pern series by by Anne McCaffrey, and the Magic of Xanth series by Piers Anthony. Right. But even more important for our purposes, Jody wrote typed up the manuscripts for the Holy Trinity of first edition books, the Player's Handbook, <laughs> Monster's Manual, and DMG. So that's why we care. That's what we care about. So, Jody, there they are. So, Jody, thank you very much for, for joining Grog Talk. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm pleased to uh, join in with people who knew the game when I first started playing it and love it. And it was, uh, thank you. And, and, you know, it was, we weren't aware of your involvement. I don't know how many of our viewers and listeners were, but it, it, your husband, Bill Fawcett, was on the show. And he just sort of dropped that in there. Like, oh, do you guys, you guys know, of course, that, that my wife, Jody typed up the manuscripts. And we were like, no, we didn't know that. I don't know. We should be embarrassed that we didn't know that. But so what, maybe we could start before we get to that. Maybe you can tell us a little bit how you got into role-playing games. 
I, I like to tell people that it's because I have a nosy uncle. I was in college uh, in 1976, and he was teaching a course there. He was a music professor, and he, he knew I was lonely, so he fixed me up with one of his former students. <laughs> and the former student, who was a lovely guy, uh, we, just, we just didn't end up together, uh, took me to a party where I met pretty much my future. I met the fellow who would take me to my first S Society of Creative Anachronism event, uh, a fellow who would sooner or later give up the job he was doing and uh, hand it over to me because I needed, I was going to need work, and the dungeon master that the brother-in-law played in. So it's pretty much all my future right there. Hmm. Okay, and, so I, this, this raises a lot of questions. So yes. first of all, okay, yes. So I didn't realize that professors would, would do these kind of things. That's interesting. So yeah, that, Dan, well, why are you not matchmaking? Uncle. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, oh, wait, so he's your actual uncle. He is my actual uncle. He is oh, my father's brother-in-law. Ah, gotcha. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Okay, okay. No, so this is this is not this is not an unusually nosy professor, although I've had those too. But so, uh, okay, my actual <laughs> uncle. Oh, so you weren't in class. I thought uncle were in air quotes. So no, you no, weren't. No, no, really. <laughs> you weren't in class with this. It was right. He just happened to be a professor. He wasn't your professor. He was actually. I was taking his oh. class. Oh, interesting. Okay, a little bit of conflict there, but I, that's fine. No, um, no. He was a very good teacher. He's okay. retired now, but he taught at a couple of uh, city colleges and universities as well as uh, one of the high schools downtown. Okay. And, and what university? Because so much of this, so much of early D&D seemed to happen in the Midwest. Was this in the Midwest? Well, yeah. It was uh, Chicago. I was at Loyola University. Okay. Oh, okay. Loyola University of mm -hmm. Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right downtown there, right? So yep. in the, right in the city. Right on so, the lakeshore. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so you're at Aloha, Chicago, and obviously your your uncle must have known something about your personality that felt you would fit in with somebody who would take you to a party where you would meet all these people who were had similar interests. Yeah, but we dated a couple of times before he said, hey, my sister's throwing a party. The very nice young man, uh, he was in law school at the time. Uh, we we're both interested in music and of course, because he had been one of my uncle's students, he, he was in, in music. Uh, he had a beautiful singing voice. And uh, we went along to this party. And like I said, my future was there. Mm. And so what, what kind of party was it? Why was your future there? Because it sounds like you were connected with him because of the similar interest perhaps in music. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that the, all these people you meet, they, they have this fantasy angle. It's, it's true, though, because the... Brother-in-law and sister uh, were playing. Well, he the the brother-in-law was playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's why his dungeon master was there. They were friends. Uh, they all they both went to Society of Creative Anachronism events, and I'm not entire. Well, no, he was a gamer too. So the 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 fellow whose whose job I eventually moved into also was in gaming. So the brother-in-law knew him because they were playing together. Okay, and, and so you had not played role-playing games before this, I'm assuming? No, no, I did the usual make-believe stuff with my friends um, as a child, but this was, this was something entirely different. They said, what would you think about going here? We, you know, we got into all sorts of conversations, and I was young and very shy, and they were, they were drawing me out, which was incredibly sweet of them. And that's something we've heard about, that that happens 
with with a lot of players with role playing games, right? It enables people who have been shy and and uh, to basically come out and uh, uh, get involved uh, and interact with other people. So, can you tell us a little bit about? Do you remember your first Dungeons and Dragons game? Yes, uh, there there is of course, as you know, a lot of prep involved. They had to. I ha- I had borrowed a set of the D and D books and read through them. The the vanilla books, the ones that came in the little white box. Mm. I very quickly got my own after that first session, but it all looks very baffling when you start. So you're you're met with all of Gary's charts and descriptions of things, but still, since I had been interested in fantasy literature all my life and had a great deal of, of make believe in me. I, I was I was on board right away. It was it was going to be too much fun, and the group that I lucked into was uh, was friendly. They had been playing for some time, so they were able to say, you know, here's 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 the easiest thing to do: roll up a character. Here are three six-sided dice, and here you go. Mm. And explaining, of course, the difference between wisdom and intelligence is one of the primary things that you have to tell a uh, a new new player, or as in. Uh, intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Yeah, I still struggle sometimes when doing an ability check, sometimes whether it should be a wisdom or an intelligence yes, check. Right. Well, uh, the, the wis- intelligence is the ability to learn something quickly and, and retain it. Wisdom is knowing when to apply it. So, right. So, so when I still struggle with figuring out like the dice and like the combination, what would that, that's wisdom or is that intelligence? Or do you, would you rather not say? Say that again. So when I'm struggling with, okay, how do I figure out what dice do I use and, and how do I figure out how to roll two to 20? Yeah. Is that's that intelligence? intelligence. Okay. Uh, that's, that's not a, that's not wisdom. It's, um, mm-hmm. A lack of wisdom would be shown in, say, let me, inter- uh, let me interrupt this very important thing to ask you a trivial question. <laughs> I think I like both <laughs> intelligence and wisdom. So what kind of books were you re- reading? So you said that you've been doing a lot of fantasy reading. Uh, oh, what yeah. Kind of- well, everything, I think. Uh, I went through everything in my uh, local library. I, would, I was one of those people who went home with the you know, massive stack of books and, and had to be taken back frequently. Uh, I was also the one with the wanted poster on the wall of the library because I was very bad about returning them on time. Uh, but, you know, I, I just love books. So the ones that I enjoyed the most were uh, fantasy. I did not know at the time the difference between fantasy and science fiction, or at least when I started out, of course. Uh, I asked one of my teachers, but I think I was in, um, yeah, in junior high. What is this? What is this thing called science fiction? And they loaded me up with all this post-apocalyptic science fiction, like Kurt Vonnegut and Ray Bradbury and stuff that you would not normally hand to a very sensitive teenage girl, and it frightened the heck out of me. So I went back to fantasy, and I used to read a lot of biographies, uh, historical books, I, nonfiction. You know, I've got libraries full of it, and so I, I was I was ready for it. There, there was not enough on television, so it had to be all in my mind. And, and it was. I was already making up stories. I was involving the neighborhood kids. I can admit you, that now in, in this, this long, long, long period since, since it happened. But so, uh, Dan, when, when Dan, we got interested in something, we really went into it, like the right. Lord of the Rings. Ah. It's almost oh, wait, like Lord of- wait, wait a second. So first of all, Dan, did you check as part of your background 
the local libraries in the Chicago area to make sure she doesn't have an active warrant uh, for her. Because, you I know, think they were I paid arrest- all my fines. Okay, I'm really going to bring that up. Yeah, because I, I didn't do, I normally do the background checks. I didn't do that this time because, you know, it was kind of a surprise. And, and you know, that first D&D game, uh, you know, we started, Dan and I, probably 1980 uh, uh-huh. as, as, you know, pre-teenager. Uh, so we came in, obviously, after the original. Um, a lot of folks have said, you know, they had a wargaming background. You know, they did a lot of miniature wargaming. It, it sounds like you didn't start from that. So did you find that? Uh, uh, encumbrance or a handicap, or it was actually better that you didn't have that background? Or if you did, uh, I guess let me... You know, I, I, I went right into it from one kind of make-believe to another. Uh, I used to play Winnie the Pooh on the playground with my best friend when we were six, so moving into role-play gaming was no problem at all. I had also gone to a theater camp in the summers, so I was ready to step into roles and have no problem with that. So in, in that first game... It yeah. seems like everyone always plays in the first game an elf magic user and they die and they loved it. <laughs> Is that, well, do you remember uh, what you played? I, I absolutely do. As, as an impoverished college student who had no uh, authority or power whatsoever in her life, and this is why we play magic users. <laughs> suddenly we have the ability to do something nobody else can. And yes, I was a half-elf magic user. <laughs> it is. Well, at least you provide, I appreciate you providing the explanation as to why this always seems oh, to be absolutely. the case. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And uh, there were fighters in the group, and they, they looked after me. Uh, one of the, 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 the brother-in-law, I, I, he's, he's no longer gaming as far as I know, so I won't use his name, but he was a real sweetheart. He was the head of programming uh, for a major corporation. So he didn't want to play anything intelligent, so he always played a big dumb fighter. So he was great to hide behind. You know, me and my four uh, four hit points, you know, I would I would uh, cower behind him until it was time to throw the magic missile. Uh, they played all day Saturday and into Sunday, so we all sort of, you know, hung out and fell asleep on the floor. Uh, or we just played Saturday and we went home really, really late at night. And I ended up driving this, this, the brother-in-law back to his, uh, his apartment, which was not far. So, uh, I I have always, I have always been, uh, absolutely. I have always been a, uh, an early, early up, early down kind of person. So they, I would fall asleep in the corner and they would shake me and say, do you have another magic missile? Yeah. Yeah. I have another magic missile. Scratch it off. I would go back to sleep on the floor. <laughs> yeah, because that's one of the things that a lot of people are surprised who don't play D&D is how long the sessions can take. Yes. Right? A, a three-hour session would be a short session. That would, that would be nothing at all. That would be barely getting out of the city to go find the dungeon. Yeah, I explained uh, to my wife. I tried to explain to my wife how these games work, where you first spend an hour figuring out how you're going to get to the dungeon. You then spend an hour looking at the door, right, <laughs> trying to figure out how you're going to get in the dungeon. And then, like, two hours in, you actually enter the dungeon usually right something like that it, it, it was uh, it was never easy it was never meant to be easy i thought that the dungeon master was very creative and he had an ongoing storyline already and uh, the the group i'm playing with now uh, online in fact array modern technology uh, has been playing for 40 years oh wow so it's it's incredible how long some of these things maintain the uh, the group that my husband played with he probably told you Ran for over 17 years. So, uh, yeah, the, the games go on and on. The second group that I played with, uh, we would play all weekend, literally. And we, I would help the 
lady of the house cooked meals and, you know, we would bring things, we would contribute. But we were there so that we could all get together and play uh, generally once a month. You know, that was what we could muster. Okay. And so tell us, so at some point in time, you're going to end up writing, typing. I hit writing. You're not the actual author, of course, no, I'm not. Of, the, of the tree, but, but you end up typing the manuscript. So how does, how do you go from, and, and I assume we're talking now, obviously, when you, when you started playing D&D, it's talking mid-70s, because you're, you're obviously, first edition isn't out yet. Tell us, how did it come about that you actually end up typing the manuscripts for the well, first three first edition books? Uh, my DM, I, I cannot remember how it happened, but uh, my DM knew Brian Bloom, who was one of the three um, partners of, of TSR. And he and I started going out. We dated for about a year. And in the midst of this, uh, he said, we are doing an advanced version of the game. By then, of course, I had my own vanilla books. And this was going to be a massive expansion. And I could type. I could type well and accurately, and he said, "How many, how many words per minute could you do?" I could, I could do, uh, I could do sixty, sixty-five. Well, with no errors. I didn't say that, but I did <laughs> very few errors. <laughs> so you're like sixty-five over one or something. <laughs> uh, I, I easily corrected, though. My, okay. spe my spelling is good. My grammar is good. My punctuation is good. Okay. So God knows where those manuscripts are now, if they even exist. Do you have an attic? I wouldn't have them. They went back to TSR so that they could uh, typeset from them. Okay, yeah. we believe you. Um, so, 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 wait, but Brian Harbor Bloom was, I, <laughs> Yes. He was in Lake Geneva, right? Yeah. And you were you in Chicago? So, how, how were you? I was in Chicago. I was in the northwest suburbs. Oh, yeah. Okay. I could get to Lake Geneva in 45 minutes, an hour. Oh, but that's, you got to like the guy. That's because that's, that's a long, yeah, well, he came down to see me too. So. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So, um, all right. So Brian Bloom suggests, so, um, he said, you say, Hey, I can type, or I guess he knew you could type. Yeah. And, and so are and you, I was already writing my own stories. I had been doing that all my life and, uh, said pretty much, uh, the, the gist of it was how would you like to make a dollar a page? <laughs> So, ah, it's finally a benefit to those books being so long. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> so a so dollar I, a page. So okay, yep. so so what? So uh, they came out. Obviously, I have no credit in the books. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, yeah, how I, was, many, I was looking at how many pages. So it looks like about five, six hundred bucks you oh, would make plus. Yeah. Yeah, the big big ream of paper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're not credited in the books. So how many people know? Do you, I mean, I. In general, well, a few more now. <laughs> a few more, yeah. Because so, is this something that's well known? I didn't know if I should have been embarrassed not knowing that you had typed no, up the manuscripts. No, no. But I was not okay. So most most people, when you tell them that, they're surprised, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always okay. call it my first job in publishing. Okay, so so very interesting. So did you get them because they come out one each year, right? We know that yeah. it is what right Monster Manual I think is first, mm -hmm. right? Players I Handbook. So, yeah. And DMG. I, the DMG has a copyright date in it of, of 1979. So yeah, I think that had to be the last one. Right. So oh. Oh, lost Dan for a second. Yeah. Uh, Together. So I think go ahead. Hey Dan, you broke up. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me Dan, now or now? Yeah, you're, okay, so, you're good. 
Okay, so I was just like, did you get them all together? Because James and I were just talking about this earlier today. Did you get them all together, or did you get them one no. at a time? No, yeah, I one had at to have gotten them one at a time because they they needed to get them typeset. If they had waited for them, remember Gary is working on them all this time, and that was you know he had it. It was by then pretty much Gary. Uh, Dave was not. I I I don't remember when I first met Dave, but it wasn't during the, the this period. Oh, Dave Arneson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I would have thought, at, uh, you know, I sort of assumed at this point in time, Dave Arneson, you know, once first edition was starting to come out, that Dave Arneson really wasn't doing no. much. Yeah. But you did meet. Well, how, so how did it happen that you met Dave Arneson, if you recall? Uh, probably a Gen Con. Okay. I, okay. I went to Gen Cons from the time that Gary and I started dating, uh, Brian and I started dating up until it moved to Indianapolis. And then I've been back oh, since wow. uh, once. I've been okay. to Indianapolis one time. So, so what was the condition of the Monster Manual when it was handed off to you? Oh, it had no illustrations. It was just straightforward. Uh, some hand script, some some typing. Uh, I cleaned it up where I could, and I know that after it went through me, it went to Penny Williams, uh, Skip Williams' wife, who is, uh, by the way, now an English teacher. Mm. And uh, many people had their hands on this. It was it was very much a, a group project. I I will say this with the greatest of love, and I see the picture over your shoulder. Uh, Gary's grammar, punctuation, and spelling were idiosyncratic. <laughs> there was never anything that he turned in that was not heavily edited. It had to be. And, and, and were you, okay, so was it your understanding, so the Monster Manual, so Gary obviously wrote it. I assume other people had a hand in it too. So what you got, I assume, was not solely Gary's work, right? I mean, I assume it was. I really could not say. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was not in on that. When I got a manuscript, it looked pretty much as if it had come off the same typewriter where, yeah. where it was typed. And, and it was, and it was. The ma- so, for instance, the monster manual, it was a complete monster manual, or was it like the first half, and then they, like you said, he was working on it. Was it, here's the monster manual, <laughs> type it all up, or here's, here's a. a through D. Yeah, yeah here's A. I think I, remember get getting, I think I remember getting sections. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. it's hot, right? So they're working it, because you said there's handwritten notes yeah, on there, there too, right? some handwritten stuff, too. That must have been, I guess, I wonder who's that was. So you may have been, this may have been Gary deciding to add stuff, right? It's been typed. So uh, was it Gary's wife who was typing? I'm trying to remember who's typing the version Barry, before you got it. It. Uh, it was probably Barry. I'm, I'm, I don't know if Gary could type. Uh, I assumed that he could. Most most people learned, even if it's hunt and pack, you know, one finger at a time. Yeah. But one, once you have that in front of you, but naturally, unless you have a self-correcting typewriter, and those were thin on the ground in those days, you... Uh, you went back with type white or an eraser and you, you mauled your manuscript as best you could, or you, I mean, the things that I, that I corrected, uh, were, were obviously misspellings, grammatical errors. I could not do anything about the charts. Those charts are purely Gary, Hmm. but remember how, what kind of a mind he had that he was able to come up with, uh, various graded charts so that, Depending on your level, 
your armor class, uh, the kind of weapon that you were using. This was all very complex, but it all came out of Chainmail and other uh, previous war games. So although uh, I didn't do a lot of it, I played some Avalon Hill games. I, uh, Brian introduced me to a bunch of things like Fight in the Skies and so on. Oh, wow. Of course, everybody knew Fitz. But um, it, was a, it was a huge undertaking. It was a massive project, and it made the game so much more interesting. Not that it wasn't interesting to start with, but it gave it a lot more background material, a lot more to play on. So, so when you were typing it, you know, because obviously your job is, is to type it, is to correct errors, right, in grammar and spelling. You've got to do it fast, I assume. Are you, are you under pressure to meet deadlines? Uh, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> Remember, I was very young, and this was, can you do this? Yes, I can. Uh, here, here's the manuscript, and I'll pick it up when you're done with it. But I, I have a good work ethic. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a working writer. Yeah. So uh, get to it. So was it hard to not? So while you're typing this, and you're trying, you know, you're correcting the grammar and the spelling, mm -hmm. but you're also a gamer. Yes. You've played original D and D, mm -hmm. and you're getting a glimpse of something which, my sense is, is very different in a certain. I mean, it's. Expanding in an enormous way. Were you at the same time as a fan reading this and saying things like, oh, well, this is, were you captivated by what you were reading, what you were typing? Well, naturally, you know, there was a great deal of squee going on. Uh, how, how could it not? Because this was, uh, I had made friends with the people at TSR. I felt like I was involved in something really special that was, that was coming up. And it was a small thing be the transcriptionist, you know, the, the copy editor too. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to be part of, of all of this. It was also a matter of trust because people who also played D and D, I wasn't, I wasn't about to say to them, Hey, you know, you want to see the pages for the new book? <laughs> yeah, what, that, were you what were you told? Were you given explicit, when you were handed this off, were you given a warning that, Hey, don't disclose this to anyone? I don't think I needed that. It would never have occurred to me to show it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. you know, I, it was it was here. This is this is coming up. This is important. Please do this. So no. You, what are so you know? There's certain things that were changed last month. Is my understanding. So uh, you know, things like the cleric. And James, help me with my memory here, but the, the cleric, I'm not the cleric, the monk. The monk, whether the monk, for example, attacks on, right, whether the, it was well, at one point it was supposed to be the cleric table, and then I think what it gets changed to the thief table. Thief table, yeah. But the right. save doesn't get changed, and so there's, I don't want to say inconsistency because it might be quite intentional, but do you remember some sort of changes like that? As you're typing, someone comes and says, Brian says, hey, Gary says this, you need to change this. Well, I would have been I would have been handed documentation, not you know it was it was not my judgment to make. Yeah. And but, yeah, but, they, they, there was a lot of question about what to do with the monk uh, because the monk has moves that the cleric would never uh, have have operated from. So that would that was different. And uh, judging what that was, you know, making it a completely different character class as 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 it was. So, yeah, it was uh, interesting to see the evolution of the project. Because in the end, it was only going to make the game better. It was going to give many more character classes available to people uh, and, and so much more of 
more monsters, more mythoses, and so on. And I, I'm sure you've talked to Jim Ward about um, how he had to go and get licenses for everything that went into the yeah. books. And he did, in fact, get licenses for things. I think um, he has been unfairly maligned in, in recent-ish years or, uh, or not, but he did because everybody had to be meticulous about it. With the reputations of Dungeons & Dragons, and I was not impressed by the people who said, oh, Satan, oh, evil, oh, my child, you know, is getting into black magic. Okay, I roll. Uh, we were allowed to read The Wizard of Oz, right? How, how different is having, you know, essentially fairy godmother, the witch of the north is the good witch. You know, it's, it's only when you change direction that they turn bad. Okay, um, how is this different from other kinds of make-believe? Did they, did they think we should just give up our, our imaginations when we got out of grade school? Yeah, well, I shouldn't a put, lot like, of people in do. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think part of it's putting, putting the uh, giant Infridi on the cover is, yeah. is a little bit... Is the, take, uh... take that. <laughs> is, that <laughs> is that still your... Do you still have your original copies of those first three yes. books? Yeah, this, awesome. ha this one happens to be Bill. When I, pulled, uh, when I pulled one off the shelf, I noticed that uh, his name is written in the, uh, the binding here. Awesome. We're very um, disappointed. But downstairs. Well, we're very disappointed he didn't use that little gun with the little tape, as so many do. Remember those? James still has that. Remember those little oh, tape? Dymo tape? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, it was a Dymo tape machine to do. Yep. Sure enough. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't own one of those anymore. The one that I used was my mother's, and also because that that is that is raised print. You know, it it uh, it will leave an impression on the page next to it. So. Oh, that's oh. good. Okay. Which we want. Well, that's, that's good, that... but also those things did tend to peel off and take part of the page with them. Yeah, well, fortunately, I don't know when I did this, 1980, so it's still so far, uh, it's, it's, it's stuck there. But, right. um, you know, so that the, you're, you're looking through this, you're, and you had latitude, obviously, fix uh, obvious grammar, you know, spelling issues, uh, when you know, and again, as a gamer, as someone who's played, you're set, you're getting the sense of the scope and and mm -hmm. changed. Um, did you, was it at the time? You know, did you did, was there a sense? Because again, we we we're looking back forty plus years. Millions of people have played it. This game and this genre has affected you know everything in culture. The geeks won oh, yeah. you know a few years ago. Did you get a sense that this was going to be a, a rapid change, or is this just a new edition? What was your sense of it when you were when you were going through that process? I thought it was thrilling because it was a big expansion of something that I already loved. And I don't know if well, you both started in nineteen eighty playing it. You get a, yeah. you got a chance to meet or play with Gary. No. Mm -mm. Okay. He was somebody who changed the world. You don't often get a chance to meet somebody who actually changed the world, but he did. Yeah. And that's that's groundbreaking. And being near it, you know, you could feel the vibrations through the ether. Uh, and it was fun in a way that ordinary board games or uh, card games weren't. So I, I was I was all for it. I was going to defend it and support it as best I could. So I wanted I wanted it to be there. I wanted it to I wanted to spread the word as best I could. But it takes a special person to say. Yes, I am going to pretend to be uh, a murderous assassin. I'm going to be a, a thief. I'm going to be a big, a, a big dumb fighter or a powerless little magic user who hides behind people. And I'm going to put my own personality aside for the day, and I'm going to be this person. 
and it's fun. So if you can't take yourself out of the equation and become this character, you're not going to enjoy it in the way that the rest of us are. But even if that is the only way you can do it, saying, okay, this person is a cleric, but this person has my personality, that's okay too. And however you want to go into it, as long as you're willing to make believe with other people. And what is, to this day, what is your favorite class to play? Is it still magic user? And, and is your favorite race to play still uh, half-elf? Uh, currently playing a, a an elven thief in, in the uh, thing. I'm... I'm secure enough in my own person. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm willing to play what is needed in the campaign, and they happen to need a thief. And I said, okay, in that case, I'm going to be an elven thief because that gives me better dexterity and and a little better uh, oper- uh, characteristics for the for the role. I would have played a cleric. I don't think I would have been happy playing a fighter. So. Yeah, it would have been something like that. I love the idea of being able to use magic in my life. So there you are. What um, what edition are you playing? We're we're playing uh, classic AD and D. I told you this goes back forty years. That's wow. Right answer. Yeah. All right, you can stay. Um, so, <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, we have we have. Hey, Dan, we got a question. So, was you know because you're you're not only transcribing this, you're typing this. Your, your, your player, right. was there anything that came up you said, are you sure you want this in there? You know, <laughs> did you look at it and go, ooh? Uh, generally, if I said, um, about this, this, this seems, um, it was just type it. Um, you know, those decisions well, were made, that was about my pay grade. Sure. Well, even about, you know, regardless about of this, what this, you know, about this, yeah. this uh, it doesn't seem like this is consistent. Do you remember any of them that uh, were really striking that you're like, oh, like you said, it's either consistent, regardless if it was changed or not, that because, uh, you know, we spend, people spend, you know, half their lives online debating, you know, how many segments these things take or X, Y, Z. Is there anything like right, that you recall and go see? How many attacks you can make during a certain, uh, certain melee? Yeah, um, I do not remember any specific ones. I remember... I remember questioning at least a couple, and after that, it was mm. just type it, you know, job. yeah, and try to try to keep try to keep it literate. Um, actually, the the, the original uh, brief I was given was just just type it. Doesn't matter how it looks. Doesn't matter about the spelling. And I thought, oh, you know, no, not really. I'm just gonna I'm going to correct the spelling and grammar where I where I can where where I can do that. Uh, if as a 19-year-old girl I had better spelling, punctuation, and grammar than the guy who was writing the thing, that tells you <laughs> that tells you a little about something. But I could not have designed those charts. And the scope, the massive scope of what Gary was doing was so huge. It was just mind-blowing. Hmm. Are there... Were you typing in a, in a typewriter or a word processor at this point? I mean, are you taking... You're oh, just typewriter, making into... typewriter. So, okay, so... My big dumb fighter friend had an actual... Apple computer, not an Apple II, an Apple right. computer, and it had the original 8, Apple, right. 8K yeah. of memory. Yeah. This is the one that his son fed spaghetti to, but that's another story. <laughs> and, how, and how does it, and, and Al Hammock, we had Al Hammock on, he talked a little bit about this too, because he, he was an, an editor at TSR. How does the publication actually happen? I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. So you're handed 
some uh, something that's typewritten already once with some handwritten well, changes. Type, handwritten and, and some of it was handwritten. Some handwritten and some oh. typed. It's handed to you. Mm-hmm. You type it up on a typewriter, yes. right? And then, okay, so you've got a stack of papers. So you've got the player's handbook I just do. with no pictures, just right. typed. And obviously you've not done things like bold. You can't do that in the old day, right? You can't bold things unless you yep. type over twice. You can't do different fonts. You can't change the size, any of that. It's So it's just courier, I assume, right? Back Everything was courier font essentially then, I, right? Uh, Which is, courier or, or American typewriter. Uh, okay. Uh, and so, so. you've got... The stack, and you hand it to Brian. Here it is. So at a certain point, you're done with the player's handbook. Yes. Here it is. Here, Brian. Do you have what? What? Ha- I mean, I'm not in publishing. So what happens to it? And how does it become the player's handbook? Okay. Uh, in those days, it would have gone to Patch Press. Well, first it would have gone back to TSR for you know, of course, uh, slugging in where the. Uh, Pictures were going to go up the illustrations and line drawings, uh, complicated scans, uh, little bits of art. So, you know, if you go through, you can see that some of it was signed, some of it was initialed, some of it was just un- uncredited. And putting the tables where they belong, all of that kind of layout was going to be done. But yes, it, it eventually had to be typeset and have everything put in where it was going to belong. So the layout was was not done by me. The layout was done by production team, or <laughs> probably consisted of two or three people considering the size of TSR at the time. It was a lot of work, a massive amount of work. And they did a really good job because they wanted to keep uh, a, a monster all on the same page. For example, they wanted to keep uh, descriptions of things all on the same page that meant rearranging things. And that was a huge job in itself. What I gave them was a readable manuscript that they could work from, but that wasn't uh, that wasn't set up for uh, publication because naturally what you can see in here is a, a sans serif font, and naturally I was working with an American typewriter font, which is a serif font. So that's not even my that's not even my manuscripts there. And it's you know the idea like we've we've obviously grew up with desktop publishing and able to manipulate. I mean this is all. You're, you're t- someone's taking your work and, and still having basically reworked that and, mm-hmm. and manipulated a, a massive amount of work to, to put it in a But that's the way like publishing this. was. Uh, yeah. Everything that you would turn in was transcribed by somebody who was going to put it into, was going to typeset it. And uh, Mayfair Games, you know, Bill's company, had a lady called Claude, and she could type 120 words a minute accurately. So they... Obviously, TSR had somebody like that on on tap because otherwise it would take forever and ever to, to do some of these huge books. Yeah. So it was just the way things were done. Now I can turn in a manuscript to a publisher. They correct the very manuscript I turn in. It's uh, The changes are accepted or rejected. Other edits are done without moving it around at all because it's pixels. Then... My manuscript, with the corrections, with the additions, with the subtractions, are it's sent directly to somebody who's going to lay it out. So it's all the same manuscript. This probably went through at least five incarnations from the time that it came from Gary's brain and became a book. There were at least five things that happened to it, and I was only one of them. And so it's got to be 
Because it's all magic. I got to tell you, before word processing, it's all magic to me. I mean, it, it, so it's got to be retyped. Again so and again. So yeah. it's possible. So what you're doing is you're basically handing in, this is, what, this is the text we want. This Use is the this text, text we want. Right. It is typeset. So then, you, depending mm-hmm. on how advanced they were, either it, when it was typeset for the use in the books, it could have been laid out and uh, there was a kind of waxy glue that they used to put it on, on layout sheets, which were massive things with blue lines on them that didn't show in the photo, uh, photo uh, transfer, and peeled up and moved or actually cut with scissors. It, yeah. it used to be pinned with pins in some cases. It depended on how, you know, how, much, uh, how advanced things were at that time. But this is also how newspapers were done as well. Every single day, it was it was transcribed, it was changed, and if you needed to relay a page, it was a big deal. So that's one of the reasons that if you deleted a line, uh, a, either there was white space, or you would put more text in that was exactly the same length, within a few characters of the, the line that you deleted, so that they wouldn't have to lay the page out again. Yeah. Yeah, because I assume once you hand it in, it gets very difficult to make it right. Once once you hand in that manuscript, they don't want you making changes, right, to the text. I assume. No, once you hand in the layout, oh, you can okay. change anything up until the time that you typeset it. Okay. And depending on how flexible that was, if they were using a computer, I don't know. I don't know anything from that point on. Uh, what, what the technology was that they had ac- uh, access to in those days. I think Penny would probably know more than I do. Then, uh, then the layout was done, and at that point it's difficult to change things yeah, because then like the, the layout goes to uh, the, the press, right. and from then on uh, all, all changes are difficult. It's like in the Elf movie where the page is missing. You know, we, if, if they would have missed it after the five iterations, you know, there may have not been a class. Oh, wh- weren't we going to have the monk? Yeah, we forgot that. Okay, there's like half the monk page. No, the well, cost that's, would be that's why you have copy editors. And uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're there for a reason. They're there to make sure everything that was supposed to be in it is in it. Uh, in the early days that Bill was publishing, he probably didn't even mention that the 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 fleet one of the shared world anthologies that's out there that he and David Drake created mm. they didn't change the uh, header on the stories completely and mm. so E Gary Gygax uh, was was the previous uh, author in one of the stories so Gary Gary actually wrote a story in the fleet followed. Because nobody was paying attention by E. N. McCaffrey, Eve David Drake, and, and fix <laughs> <laughs> it, it completely. And the entire last story was missing. So somebody yeah. wasn't somebody wasn't on the ball. Someone wasn't paying attention. And that can happen. So that's why you want somebody who knows what they're doing, who knows something about the manuscript and who is paying attention to go over it before it goes to press. And thank God that was only the bound galley. That wasn't the book itself. Was wow. there anything that you rec- that you missed that you wish you hadn't missed that you thinking back on it on the on the three volumes? What do you mean? Meaning like oh that I you know that word I should change that or I, oh, I you no, know I was, I was satisfied with with what I turned in. I you know my job was not to remake Gary's work in my image. It was to make it the best it possibly could for the sake of 
the company and for Gary and for the people like me who are players. Did you? And so at that point in time, you must have known the 1E rules just about as well as anybody. You could say that, yeah. That was, <laughs> and, and mind you, that was a long time ago. But yeah, I can. If somebody says, well, what about blah, 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 it's amazing how it comes back in your memory. Uh, they, in, in D&D magic, we call that the somatic uh, portion of the spell. When you do something physically, it sort of imprints. It's like muscle memory. So I remember reading that and uh, doing that when you have a physical connection to it. It's one of the reasons that with a real book, not, not an e-book, you can remember how far back in the book something was that you wanted to go back and look at. With an e-book, it's impossible because you have no physical component. You have no motion to, to attach that to. So for a while, were you the kind of the go-to person in your group that if somebody had a question on 1E, like even the DM, it was like, well, Jody, do you, were you like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, you'll find that here. I could do that, but we were all passionate about this. So everybody read it cover to cover, and we all learned the things that we needed to. You know, and I, I had uh, little little bits and pieces of paper as, uh, as bookmarks. So... And also, we were we were all playing different things. We had a paladin, we had a thief, we had a big dumb fighter, and a little little sky uh, magic user. So we were all on different pages, and that was cool. We were just there to have fun. That was the whole idea. This was this was a treat for me. It was a privilege, and I thank Brian for that. But in in the end, it was for it was for all of us to enjoy. So a couple of questions from online. Sure. Um, so since you played also OD&D, the, the original, the white box and the white books. Yeah. Um, so there, there wasn't a gnome character and then half orcs came. Were you surprised? You know, do you know where the gnome came from? Because that's a bone of contention that uh, Dan and I... That I think came from one of the players in Gary's campaign. I think that... Okay. Uh, I've forgotten the name of the guy who, who played something like a gnome character. and He's probably short... Uh, kind of a long-winded, obnoxious, funny, uh, charming, charming. Of course, yes, charming, completely uh, I, charming. I, I, mm. <laughs> Remember, most of the uh, advanced spells were named after people in TSR or who would, were adjacent to TSR in one way or another, like Nistel's magical dance and so on, mystical dance. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, these 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 things are are kind of part of my DNA now, and. That's awesome. Yeah. What about the, ha the half fork? Any knowledge of where the half fork may have come from as a player? Because that's a that's a fairly unusual thing to have as a, as a PC, I would think. Yeah, um, because orcs are uh, stupid, and they have extremely few hit points. You think magic users are are, are wimps? Uh, kobolds and orcs are are well cannon fodder. I think that somebody said, "How bad could they be?" You know. In fact, I want to play one. And because we were all into inclusion and having uh, and, and experimenting with the rules um, as much as anything else, it's, okay, what would the stat guy's stats be like? How would he play? And then after that, it's role play. Mm. James, anything else on the uh, chat? Uh, well, Cyber Heston, who's our dear friend from Sweden, who was Nistel? Do you know who that was? I, do I don't. Was? I don't. A lot of this happened before I came along. Yeah. Uh, okay.
Okay, so did you do any other work for TSR? So it's, obviously, this was freelancing work. I assume you were in, you know, what the the suburb I was of Chicago. In <laughs> you were in college. Yeah. So, um, did you do any other work for TSR? Uh, not really. No. Um, Brian and I broke up. Uh, did you break up before? I have to ask. I'm sorry. Um, did you break up before or after you finished the manuscripts? After. Oh, okay. Okay. I did finish. It would have been a better story if it. <laughs> no, I have no follow-up to that question now. <laughs> no, I, I wish him well wherever he is. Uh, and no, the 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 company that I did end up doing more for is uh, is Mayfair. I wrote a couple right. of modules for Mayfair. I picked up a module that was half finished by by somebody else. I did that. Now, was I that did... before or after Bill, your husband, started working for Mayfair? Were you first? Hey. Oh no, no. Bill was one of the founders of Mayfair. It was one of okay. The yeah. People. Right. That's right. He was asked by the that right the uh, the uh, owner to to join him. Right. Yeah. Well, when they were when they were forming it, uh, there were there were six of them: the four Bromley brothers and a fellow called Jimmy, whose last name I have forgotten, and Bill. They created a wonderful company, and I I came along. Uh, gosh, what we started dating in 1985. So that was quite a long time after uh, Brian and I broke up. I had been playing d and I had been going to Gen Con and other conventions. And in fact, Bill and I saw each other across a tournament table, but we didn't meet really until 1985. Hmm. So, uh, well, he, and he, has a, you know, he has obviously a very sweet story from that. So what's your version of, uh, of that story so that we can compare videos of each and no, I'm just kidding. You know, what's, the, so what's your version the, of that, the before, uh, how you met? The before or after? Both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Flint, Michigan high school. Uh, they were having a convention in the summer and it was hot. I drove up there with, uh, the, the big dumb fighter and the fellow whose job I would take over and our thief for all from, from our dungeon. Uh, drove drove there in my Volkswagen, which was, of course, very cramped for the two very tall guys in this. Sure. Still, it was transportation and it was cheap because that car got 37 miles to the gallon even then. And uh, because it was so hot, I was wearing uh, a one-piece bathing suit and a pair of jeans. And Bill remembers that <laughs> to this day. I was also <laughs> one of the very few women who were playing. There weren't a lot of girls playing D&D then, or, or anything else for that matter. It was a, I sure. don't remember the name of the Gamescon. There was no air conditioning in a Michigan high school in the summer because it was out of session. They didn't expect to have to use it. So he, he, he remembers uh, vividly seeing me in this red bathing suit. Years later... Uh, it was a different met, time, James. It was, it was a different right. time. <laughs> Years, years later, I was at a convention in Chicago called Capricorn, which is in February. And Bill was walking up the uh, corridor of the hotel, which is, has since been torn down. If you've ever been to Chicago, there's the Purple Hotel. It was, it's been, it was over the years, a Hyatt and many other things was sold again and again. Uh, but Capricorn was held there for years. And I was talking to a friend, and this man ran up to me, stopped, and said, Barbara told, uh, Barbara says not to move. So, <laughs> yeah. and then he had to talk to me. So, uh, sort of struck up a conversation, and by the time Barbara came along with whatever it was that she wanted me to know or, or take, uh, 
he had uh, we'd we'd gone over the fact I was currently working for a television station. I was uh, I was into gaming. He was into gaming, and then my friend came along and uh, he had asked for my phone number, and we went out uh, the following Wednesday. So uh, he was he was a very sweet man. But you know what what do you do once you have said here uh, do this. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna wait with you. Uh, now what? <laughs> <laughs> so he, That's awesome. he remembered you from the convention as the. He said he did. Yes. He said, yeah, "Okay, <laughs> well, you know." Well, you know, there, like I said, very few women there. Yeah, and you were very few wearing a, a bathing suit. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so okay, so then you so um, when did you what work did you do for Mayfair? Because I know so so Bill joins Mayfair and he he starts. No, no, but Bill Bill was one of the founders of Mayfair. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, he's yeah. already there. He's already there. He's already there at the time. Right. So uh, let's see. Uh, there was a Morgan uh, module. I think that was the first thing I did for them. That was uh, partly done. I ended up finishing it. I did another module which escapes me at the moment. Then they had the Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine license, and they were doing a role-play game on that. And I took Ellery Queen for over 30 years. So mm. I said, uh, they, they had uh, made a deal with Edward D. Hawk, who was their most prolific writer, to take their Nick Velvet character and give him adventures. And the wonderful thing about Nick Velvet was he was a thief who only stole things of no value. So that that was huge fun because I had to come up with things that were of no value, that were as yet important, and you had to solve the mystery uh, involving them and figure out why he needed to pick up a torn sugar packet or a burnt out match or something like that. So that that I did in total. That I, the entire module was mine, and I I did a few other little things for them. Uh, most of it having to do with the Ellery Queen game. So. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, know. you know, Bill was coming up with publishing projects, and I was I got involved with that. We can move on to that afterwards. Yeah, and I know that as I mentioned in the intro, you also you end up writing companion books, right, for for the Dragon Riders of Pern series, mm -hmm. right, and and the and the Magic of Xanth uh, mm -hmm. by Pierre Xanth. How, how did that all come about? That came about because Bill was coming up with the Crossroads and Combat Command books. Now. For a couple of years, uh, Choose Your Own Adventures were huge, and this was all before Nintendo. Nintendo put a complete end to game books, because all of a sudden the people who were getting their uh, gaming fix from books suddenly went to mod, uh, console games. Yeah. So he came up with these wonderful projects. Combat Command was he, you take command of an entire fleet or company or army, and you made choices based upon the knowledge you were given. You were given a couple of choices. It was exactly a choose-your-own-adventure, but for a group. And he licensed known worlds that had armies like uh, Hammer Slammers by David Drake and so on. And handed them off to, once they were licensed, handed them off to young writers who knew gaming. Uh, Bill Dietz, um, Todd, Mc Todd McCaffrey, who was writing under uh, his previous name Todd Johnson at the time, many other people. But the other one, Crossroads, was individual adventures in licensed worlds. So he talked to Christopher Stashef and uh, Roger Zelazny, 
Pierce Anthony, uh, many others that, that had wonderful worlds that bore expansion. And when he, he got Christopher Staffchef, and I said, me, 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 I want to do The Wizard in spite of himself. And, of course, when he got Zanth, I said, absolutely me, I do terrible puns, I can do that. <laughs> And I think that I was, uh, I think I was interested in, in another one as well. I, I, I don't remember which, but if I was not able to write and I did not know game mechanics, I would not have been involved in the project. Bill was not going to do something just because I was his girlfriend. It was because I could yeah. write and I could do game materials. Well, he had been after Anne McCaffrey to say yes to this project, to allow a license, but she had promised her publisher that while, she, while the publisher lived, Anne would never work for another publishing house in any capacity. And this was for Tor books instead of Del Rey books. And then the publisher died, and Anne was able to say yes. So I said, me, 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 me. I want to do Anne's books. And Bill said, you'll have to drop something. I said, okay, you can have the wizard. You can have the stash of books back, but you take Xanth away from me over my dead body. Um, so I, I, for the first 13, I think, of the Crossroads books, I did one Pern and one Xanth, and in the second round I did uh, one Pern and one Xanth. And I had huge fun with it, just just enormous fun. And I got to explain to Anne McCaffrey how a choose-your-own-adventure works, and how the uh, the tree of act, uh, actions takes place, and how you all go back to the one one failure uh, choice if, if you blow it. But there, there was all of the possibilities uh, eventually, you know, dovetailed in until you got to victory. There's only one way to win. So it, it, it took you forward. If you didn't fail, you know, you could get through the story and you were reading a story set in those worlds throughout. And that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. I'm a good mimic. So I was able to copy the styles pretty well of, of both Anne and Piers. Yeah, that's, it's a very interesting concept. I mean, I, you know, so I was a huge Lord of the Rings fan as a, as, as most of us were, and yeah. boy, the idea of I could choose your own adventure in the middle, I would have eaten that up. I, I, I would have loved that. So, I mean, I loved the Choose Your Own Adventure book. So, um, I, I didn't read uh, the, the Pern series or, or the Magic of yeah. so I wasn't familiar with that, but uh, it, it sounds like a great concept. If, if we, could, if we the... could have worked with the Tolkien estate, but <laughs> yeah. you know anything about what Iron Crown went through? Yeah. Well, I would have liked the Tom Bombadil one where I get killed every time. That's the, the choice I would James order. doesn't like Tom. Uh, uh, James doesn't like, He always wants to stir the pie. He doesn't like Tom Bombadil. All right, Joe, we got to ask you then, since you are a Lord of the Rings fan, I think, as you mentioned, and Bill may have warned you that this question would be coming, do you, of the three books in the trilogy, do you have a favorite? Of the three books? That was Don't, probably... No, no leading question. Objection, what? leading I question. Just, I saw something. <laughs> Up there. Oh, was that a clear hint? When I first started reading them, The Fellowship was my favorite. Okay, thank you. All right, we have an answer. Uh, uh, we we that, appreciate that, Jody that, joining us today on the Grog Talk podcast. Clear, clearly, that's not her complete answer. Okay, sorry. So that's okay. Let her finish. Seriously. No, in, in later years, of course, when I started writing, I, I saw what a magnificent thing he had done with the, the third book. So as, as an adult, I would probably have to change my answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh-huh. I'm a child yeah, at heart. I'm a kid at heart. Well, that's, so that's why I love we, the fellowship, because that was actually where the happiest stories were. That's exactly right. Same with the elves. Yeah, Gandalf, Gandalf, Gandalf dying. 
Gandalf dying is very happy. It's a very, it's a very, very happy moment. Well, now you're well. Actually, there's six books, right? Uh, seven. Oh, is it seven? Well, it's something like because one and like, each book in the trilogy is split up. Yeah, it's split it? into two. So yeah, so but, book one, book one, the first half of the Fellowship is very happy. I yeah, it is. It, it's it's the innocent times. It's before they know exactly what they have al allowed themselves to get involved in. Did you did you listen to Andy, any of Andy Serkis reading The Hobbit? Very little, not a lot. Did Did you listen? I listened to a, a few hours of it, but then I had to stop because it was going to be an eleven hour ordeal for him. Yes. Uh, but Chapter Five is available on YouTube and other places to listen to. This is where Gollum actually comes in. Ah, uh, so yes. you should definitely uh, do that. Well, The Hobbit has one of my all-time favorite characters, which is Bjorn. Right, so Bjorn. I love Bjorn. Thank Bjorn, you. Bjorn, Bjorn is wonderfully handled. He does he does a great job with Bjorn. I should at least listen to that. So, what's your view on Tom Bombadil, if you have one? He comes into the story. He exits the story. You know, Peter Jackson was quite right to leave him out of the movie. He had to uh, because you've only got so much time within the, the sake of a film. I thought that. It did as a respite, and it showed you that other things were going on in Middle Earth. So, I I thought it was okay. <laughs> okay, just kind of. Well, and and what's interesting, you know, so transitioning. So you moved from now. You're when you went to Loyal. Was that for journalism, or were you were you planning to? Be, did you envision being an author and you know publishing dozens of works like this, or was that kind of? happenstance or you know i know you said you've been writing your whole life but i've written things but i'm not a I, I couldn't even fathom writing one book let alone you know dozens of books so how, how, maybe you can give us a a, a a sense of how you got from you know going to college to now being a, an accomplished author uh on your own right because a lot of this like you said you were doing typing other people mimicking and now you're an author and you're what how did that transition happen for you well in a huge left turn i uh, went to college because I wanted to work in films. Okay. I wanted to be a director. Well, uh, I didn't realize how much cocaine was involved in direction in uh, working in the movies. That wasn't a prerequisite. They, they didn't put that in uh, well, the class not taking it, not taking it, but making it available to your crew and cast and things. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Give me some coffee and some cocaine. I'm not. Yeah, was, I'm not. I'm I thought not, that was in the lab fees, right? Three dollars. Right. I don't, Why is this I lab don't fee seven hundred dollars? I don't yeah, use drugs. So. I never did. I don't drink. I never You're just did. being asked to buy them. What's the problem? <laughs> exactly. It wasn't for me. It's, you know, you, it's frowned upon you taking them. You just deliver it, okay? <laughs> Honestly, if you don't involve me, I don't care what you do as long as it's between consenting adults. Not my problem. But, uh, yes, and also you, you have to manage thousands of people and thousands of egos. And like I said, I'm an introvert. It's probably better that I'm doing what I'm doing because not only am I able to create movies in my mind, I am the director, I am the producer, I am the casting director. And although I would love to see my stuff become videos, uh, it it does not. My my uh, my college dreams are not uh, they're not dissatisfied. Mm. So, so in your group, then, do you run adventures too? Because obviously, you know, running an adventure and writing an adventure allows you to, you know, sort of, you know, create your own world um, and, and basically your own story. So, so do you run adventures too? No, not not in years, not in years. In fact, I only 
in the last few years started uh, role-play gaming again. I was playing an online game with a wonderful DM, uh, Larry Dixon, Mercedes Lackey's husband, and, and he's a wonderful artist. He said, I'm, I'm playing this game. If you, want to, if you want to come in, you might as well. It would it'd be a lot of fun. And we did play for a while, but, but the DM, bless her heart, was totally overcommitted, and it just stopped. So when my friend who of, of the 40 years campaign said, hey, uh, you know, we're going to start playing online, I was all for it. But I have not, I have not written a new campaign. I, I really don't have the time. And that's one of the things that made me stop playing back all those years ago was real life got in the way. Work got in the way, uh, getting married. And, you know, despite the fact that we do still game in various ways, neither of us is creating a campaign. Well, it is very time-consuming, and particularly on the DM side, it's enormously time-consuming. And, you know, the players, it's not as time-consuming, but as we were talking about, you know, a game, a good game lasts maybe, you know, many, many hours. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it is an enormous time commitment. And, you know, what I've found, because, you know, both James and I, we, we basically come out of the deep freeze as well. You know, we didn't play for close to 30 years, and it, it, it really sucks you back in and it starts dominating so much of your time. I mean, I find my James, I don't know how you've been, but you know, I'm now back like I was in junior high where I spend my time thinking about it. You know, I spend more time, I think, thinking about D and D right. than I do playing it, which is, 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 is not always. Well, we spend five hours talking to each other almost every week. And so, yeah, we're, we're those people who talk about more than, I mean, I do have a weekly game that I run, but it would be interesting to play with other, you know, like Jody as an artist. You know, you're coming up with a plot and, and you're looking, is this a good plot? Did it do well? <laughs> and, you know, and you're surrounded by people who are professionals at it. That's, that, that would, that, again, that would be like playing with Gary or something like that, where you're playing with people who are, yeah. they're, they're not only their, their, you know, obviously their acumen, their intelligence is high, but they're, this is what they do. They, they craft stories and you're like, oh boy, James, my crappy, my crappy COBOL story is not sounding so great. Yeah, your adventure had no theme, James. <laughs> That's Seriously, right. come the on. The protagonist was underdeveloped here. Clearly. Like, I don't even know what you're talking I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm the, just... the joy of playing with people who are really experienced is they'll go with it. Even if even if you can see all the flaws in it, we're not going to we're not going to stop and say, Are you kidding? You know, why why does your barmaid have a college degree? Uh it it's it's not it's not like that. We say, Ah, is she hiding something? Has she got a secret? What's going on here? This is interesting. We must explore it. So yeah, there's no, I, it's, it's not a case of we're going to judge you. We're going to play with you. That's the whole point about D&D. &D. And that's a great point. And I think that's where the DMs who are, in my opinion, more successful are the ones who are receptive to the leadings of the play. You know, we, a lot of DMs complain about, oh, their players don't get involved with the story. Well, when they bring things up like this and you shoot them down because it wasn't what you thought of, well, you're getting what you deserve then. You really need to be receptive. That's, there's a trait that a good DM has is one that's receptive and is listening to, oh, there's a sequel. I didn't come up with that. Well, now oh, guess what? I'm coming up with it. And that's where the creative story comes in. You're exactly right. As, exactly. I just played a charity game of uh, Castle Falkenstein, our Chalsorian's game online for, uh, for, for charity, uh, first for Girl Scout cookies for first responders and medical personnel. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and, and the second time was uh, for World, uh, World Central Kitchen. 
we had huge fun. It was me, Mercedes Lackey, Larry Dixon, Chris Spivey, and Gail uh, Simone, all all being characters in this in this adventure. We were we were asked to come up with our own characters, and I was a uh, a contestant who was also somebody who holds seances because remember this is this is approximately the Victorian era, and okay. we were supposed to have a a riot. There was supposed to be a massive melee, and I diffused it <laughs> with with a little showmanship. And all of a sudden, the 30 people who were supposed to be attacking us were an audience. And the DM, bless him, went with it. He, he, was, he was all ready to start rolling dice on us, and he had to, he had to stop it because I derailed him. Well, and, you know, and I've always thought that's a lot of the fun of DMing a game is just being along for the ride and seeing where it goes. Mm-hmm. You, know, that I, you know, I love to see what the party's going to do. And, you know, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, otherwise you're just sort of taking them through your story, your reading. And I think I, I'm going to say it was Lou Pulsifer yeah. we had on recently said that, that, look, there's much better storytelling. You know, if he wants to read a fantasy novel, he's not going to go through my adventure. He'll pick an author like yourself. He'll find a, a, somebody who's good and read the book. Right. That's not what he wants when he plays a role playing game. And yes. so. Yeah, and so um, no, I agree. I, I that I think is the fun. Now, of course, it's very hard. Not many people can pull that off well, right? Because you got to be quick on your feet. You got to be able to adjust. And I think what it is is it's very. I would sense it's very unnerving for a lot of DMs who put in all this. Number one, you put in all the prep work, and you're thinking to yourself, "I've put in this work. I'm I'm going to use it." And then in the, in the same vein you're you're a little bit concerned because now you know you don't know what you're doing perhaps this is one of the problems with traveler if you remember traveler it was the greatest fantastic wonderful setup for a game but without the kind of control that you would have uh you spend all your time setting up this planet and then you have a ship full of people who said no we don't want to go there (laughs) now what right yeah so yeah you you can you can uh it takes a clever DM to to say no, no. There's there's a reason you must go to this planet. No, we don't want to go to this planet. The gravity well has you. You're going. You know what? Whatever you need to do in order to make the story work, but in a cooperative fashion. And that's what's fun about it is the cooperative storytelling, the uh, yeah. mass make believe of having a, a lot of really creative minds. And when you have somebody who does not feel confident about it, a good DM will play to their strengths. And say, okay, uh, I will set up a situation where this person is not necessarily good at role play, but they have a big heart. So we have to give uh, him or her something to do where compassion is more important than action. And then everybody can have a good time because everyone gets to participate. And that and that's the other skill. I think over time, I you know, and this is where the thing of thinking about the game can be problematic. If you spend all your time, you know figuring out what the third purser of the prince's motivation is. And you've got hundreds of characters fleshed out. And the party invariably does, while it's great you're prepared, you get sucked into the world as you see it versus now I, when I prepare, I understand the world, I understand the main characters and what, they, what their motivations are, but I don't know what they're going to do. Because if they do decide, like you said, they land on, they, yeah, you're going to planet X. Oh, no, we're not going to planet X. We... You told us about that this there's this 
magical energy and planet Y that you haven't even thought of because you, you was an offhand comment. <laughs> well, just, yeah, tr- you, you transplant planet X and you make it planet Y and you can do that, you know, pay no attention to behind the curtain. But it's this, yeah, don't get wrapped up in your world is, is kind of the idea. So you allow the players um, to, to go where they want to go because, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a cooperative storytelling mechanism. Mm-hmm. And I think DMs who spend... You know, I get worried when they have a, a hundred-page binder that they bring out of who their would, world that they put in. Who, who would have a hundred-page binder for, for an adventure? Outrageous. Oh, well, outrageous. Yeah, so, well, yeah, we had, uh, so we, we, we played, uh, last week we did our Patreon event for our, our, our dear patrons, uh, played an Albi Fior classic module from 1980. It's six pages Oh, my God, which dwarf. one? Uh, the Halls of Tis and Thane, which is a, a very a classic one from White Dwarf 18. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lich Way is the other one that he's famous for, I think. Um, so I yeah. Dan is, has run it a number of times, and he says, hey, I'll send you my notes. <laughs> this is the six-page module in White Dwarf. He says, oh, by the way, I added an appendix. It starts on page 94. <laughs> I, I like, he sends this to me a day and a half before the event because we're co-DMing it. Like, we'll split oh, I, it up. Okay, what fun. You should invite us in. Oh, we'll, okay, accept. Accept, uh, accept it. Oh, yeah, we can run the halls. Of, uh, they'd love the halls of Tizentane if they're not familiar with it. Don't you think, James? Yeah. I think they would love yeah, the halls of Tizentane. I don't think I'm thing. familiar with that. You know, uh, in, in those days, like I said, I was an impoverished college student, so being able to subscribe to... Magazines like White Dwarf were pretty much out of my pocket. Um, right, not going to happen. Oh my, oh my goodness, Bill and Jody and a couple other folks. I'm sure, I'm sure a bunch of people would want to do that. That'd be I, awesome. I, I, I know a couple of other people who might participate. I'll, I'll talk to you offline. But, okay. But yeah, there's, there's so much fun uh, in, in this, and the make believe keeps your imagination alive. I, one of the things that I discovered when I went back to the first high school reunion I ever went to. It was only five years out, and I discovered mm-hmm. how many people had let their imaginations lapse. They were suddenly middle-aged. At 23, they were suddenly middle-aged. And then I found the few sparks that were still there, the ones who were still creative, the ones who were still thinking in terms of there are more things to life than this. And they are the ones who are gaming today and doing creative work today and providing content for the rest of the people who... Uh, have stopped doing it for themselves. So, so uh, just one last question for me. Uh, so, you know, obviously you, you're a prolific writer. So is there a style? Cause again, I am completely ignorant. We didn't have a chance to do this. And, with, and clearly we have to, I want you to plug your own current works. So what uh, style of, you know, science fiction, is that one you like gravitating to, or is, do you write on any subject of this? I'm pretty versatile. You know, if, if I must toot my own horn, there are many things that I can do. I have done straight drama. I've done medical science fiction. I've done uh, contemporary humorous fantasy. I've written epic fantasy. Uh, I've written humorous space opera. I've written young adult science fiction. Uh, I, all of my series are different. So for what one reason or another, I think that I love my humorous space opera. It's it's currently a trio of books I intend to do more with. It's sort of Jeeves and Wooster in space. Picture the feckless mm. young lordling and the sensible gentleman who more or less keeps him out of trouble, but is also pushing him to his own ends because it's more complicated than just Jeeves and Wooster. Uh, the books 
all have as their titles. Uh, he, Lord Thomas is too wealthy to have hobbies. He has enthusiasms. So the title of each book is his enthusiasm of the moment. View from the Imperium is about photography. Fortunes of the Imperium is about superstitions. Not that he believes in them, but he loves the trappings. You know, he's got a fortune teller's tent and a phrenology chart and all that. And Rhythm of the Imperium is, of course, about interpretive dance. So, and, 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 and I had, you know, obviously, yeah. go ahead. I had, now, I, I had now, loads of fun with that. I love this character. He's great. Parsons is the fellow who's trying to keep him out of trouble. And yet, Parsons has an agenda as well. Hmm. I think we need a random table for enthusiasms for our PC. Right. How do you think? Oh, by all random means, you, you never know what people are going to get enthusiastic about to the exclusion of all other sensible things. That's right. <laughs> have, have, and so, I mean, you obviously been written, writing for a number of years. Has have you have has people come to you and, and you know, obviously Gary Gygax has inspired many folks. Have people come to you and said, "Wow, Jody, your works have inspired you"? Because you know, we, we look at authors, um, when I think science fiction, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, and, and D and D it's been male. It's been predominantly male, which is unfortunate. And, you know, we're finally now in a generation where fifth edition, a lot of editions, it doesn't have to be this way. We're trying to be more inclusive. Um, so have you had folks come to you and say, wow, this work inspired me to become an author? Cause I would imagine that's gotta be the thrill of a lifetime. It, it is, and it has happened. Uh, one in particular, I, I'm actually not going to give a name, but came to me and said, uh, you're the reason I started writing. And awesome. this is a person who has won awards and whose work I think is very good. So I'm just, I'm thrilled that I had any part in any way to do with that. And I've had other people say that, they're, that my work meant something to them. And that feels so good. It, it feels so wonderful to, to know that I had an impact on, on them. I, I met a man at uh, Chicago's regional WindyCon. He said that my Mythology 101 series, Contemporary Humorous Fantasy, were the stories that he read to his son at night, and his son would always clamor for more Keith and Hall stories. So I felt good about that. Anytime somebody gives me feedback like that, that they say, you know, this, this meant something to me, this is my favorite book, or this is on my shelf of favorite books, it really warms my heart, because normally all I see is a keyboard and a screen full of, of letters, but not the people who are going to eventually see that. So, so if, if you have a compliment to pay uh, readers out there, please do. It means a lot to us. Excellent. And, and if so, again, I'm, and I'm an equal opportunity. I don't read books anymore. I should, it's been a failing of mine. My stuff's mostly uh, in audio. Right. Well, and, and I, no, I, 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 I mean, we, I, when we used to drive to work, you know, you had time to do that. Now we sit at home <laughs> and, and I, I watch YouTube for hours and realize I haven't learned anything. So if there's one book you, you've kind of spent, you know, the last hour with me, what's the book you would recommend for me to, to understand uh, that's the best example for me to get hooked into your writing style. Ooh. Um, no pressure. That's tough. I would, I would say one of two. Uh, you probably really enjoyed the Lord Thomas books. Um, View, uh, View from the Imperium is the first one. Okay. They're from Bain Books. I know that they're uh, available in E, and I believe they have just come out in audiobook. Uh and or, which place do you get the most money from if I were to buy it from? Because I know there's different ways and some authors get like that's true. three it's, cents and other ways you get more money. But you so know, I, I have to say that if you love handling books, get a book. Uh, yeah. But 
I get more money from an uh, from an ebook than I do from uh, a physical book. That's, oh, really? that's just okay. a fact. Mm. Yeah. The the deal is different. Because they so don't have to it's actually better if to, I get they don't have to print it. They don't yeah, have they, to ship it. They have more of a yeah. profit margin, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I could I could buy it on Kindle and that would be okay. It's it's there, yeah. Uh, okay. let me see. Otherwise I don't I took the rights back, so I don't know if it's available any place except Bard's Tower is um, the uh, Tildy Summerby duology. It's it's epic fantasy. It's kind of what if the Lord of the Rings, most of the characters had been female instead of male. You still okay. have the out-of-control magic item that really does not need to exist in the world. And the, the people who are trying to get it back where it belongs. And, and you'll send us the links so, and so we can put it up on our, on our YouTube and our podcast. I will. If, uh, I will do that. That would be great because I'm sure a lot of folks would want to want to check that out too. Because, sure. um, you know, unfortunately, I, not that I was limited to reading, just it was, uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's, why Lord, that's why the fellowship was a problem. I wasn't a strong reader. Uh, and so the pages and pages of stories and poems, it just didn't. I wanted to fight. That's why the two towers for me. <laughs> I read that. I read that in the afternoon, and uh, because of the, the the action that was there. Now it's, I appreciate dynamic. it more. I appreciate it more. But as a child, I was very you know distract. It was easily distracted, and in some ways, the DMG was the perfect book for me because it had no. Se- it was not. It wasn't a thing end to end. You could read parts of it. It was very encyclopedic, and so it it held my brain. Well, if I wanted to learn something, I could just dive into that. So, oh, yes. um, it's it's amazing stuff, and it's so detailed, so incredibly thought out. That kind of world building is what you hope for in an epic, and don't always get. When mm-hmm. I find something that has truly amazing world building, it blows my mind, and I want to share that with people. Has and 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 I said one last question, but I have tons of questions. The has has uh, fantasy changed over the thirty or forty years, and are you happy with the trends that you see, or are you not happy with the trends that you see? I do see. Okay, on the on the bad side, I see a lot of things that are sort of repetitions of of themselves. There are identifiable tropes, like anyone who has written uh, read Tolkien, I can tell. Especially if they're new writers, they are pretty much regurgitating Tolkien. Less so than, than before, because for a lot of uh, female writers, there are very few female characters in it. And I know Peter Jackson tried hard to include uh, Toriel, but that, that was really pasted on and it felt like it. So you just have to accept it as a period piece, but it was incredibly, incredibly well-written and listening to Andy Serkis read The Hobbit, for example, reminds you of what good writing is, what fantastically skilled writing uh, that was. So it has improved in terms of not just, uh, not just straight white males can go off and have an adventure, but you can have tender little stories, you can have big screaming epics, and you can have things that are not the earth-shattering stories, and yet are worth reading fantastic explorations of, of mind and personality, adventures, uh, some of them. Well, you have to have something that's harrowing. Without conflict, there's no story. I have read things that have been published that you say, okay, when is something going to happen? And I've, I'm, a little, I'm a little concerned about that. 
but on the whole, people have learned from each other. That's, that's one of the things. It's like science fiction and science. Science fiction extrapolates from what they read about actual science. And then the scientists say, you know what, that's a good idea. We should do that. And then science fiction writers say, oh, cool. What a wonderful idea. I will build on that. And, and they stir step above each other to the benefit of all. Fantasy writers do the same thing. They say, okay, uh, this was explored, but I don't think it went far enough. I'm going to do this. And the, it, it behooves the, the writers who came before to say, well, I could learn from that. I can include this. And oh my gosh, what a great idea. Yes, I will, I will go back and, and think about that some more. So yes, I, every, every year, every generation, we get better and more interesting and more inclusive. And it's all, all better for the genre, and it's better for the reader. Outstanding. Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I didn't have... Uh, no, I just... The only final question I had was, I wonder how much interaction did you have with Gary, uh, and when was the last time uh, that you spoke with him? Last time we saw Gary, we, uh, we used to go out to dinner with him and his wife, Gail. Uh, we'd, we'd meet kind of in the middle. Where we were living was not even 45 minutes from Lake Geneva. And we would meet at restaurants, or they would come to our house, or we would go up to Lake Geneva. Um, he was he was not well by then, and uh, he had had shingles, and it had been on his face as well, and, and uh, nearly lost an eye from it oh, because wow. it can it can do that. It was terrible, but he was uh, he's an interesting guy. I was I was of course in awe of him when I knew him uh, as a teenager. And I'm very pleased that I got to be friends with him in the, in the later years because he was a marvelous thinker. And naturally, like I said, he changed the world. Mm. And so you, you mentioned your books are audio books. So is, um, do, you get do you get a choice of who reads them? And do you have a favorite person who has read your books who captures that reading? Or do you read them? Or what's the, how, does that, how does that work? I don't, but I could. I have, uh, many of my books are on audio. At one point, Audible went on a buying frenzy and bought lots and lots of my books. Uh, they, they assigned for the Myth Adventures a fellow called Noah Michael Levine, whom I think is marvelous. He has a warm, resonant voice, but he understands humor. In fact, when, uh, when I was going back and forth with him about one of the books, I said, the pronunciation of this word, no matter what it looks like, is very important to the joke. He sent me a wave file with him reading the, the reading the word correctly. So mm. that shows you how devoted he was. So I, I like him above all the narrators I've had. I don't always get a choice. I just recently asked for him for another project, and yet I found out that it had been recorded by somebody else. But I will continue to use him when I can, because I think he's very good. Have you had a famous person read any of your books at this point? Famous as in, you know, like you said, yeah. Anthony... Uh, Back when Dove Audio did the uh, Planet Pirate books, I think, uh, that I wrote with Anne McCaffrey, Adrian Barbeau read them. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's, we'll talk about, you know, like you said, an iconic uh, person from, you know, our childhood, you know, her, her as an actress. Um, mm -hmm. One of our people online said, uh, are the Lord Thomas books good for children? They have a question. Uh, yes. Uh, there, there's, there's no sex in them. Um, there, there is some violence. It is necessary. Yeah, there, there's I, I some, don't know. There are some 
harrowing scenes, perhaps, that uh, I, I would suggest that the parents go ahead and, and review them. But on the whole, uh, there's, there's, there's no sex. And there, there isn't any particular swearing. So I, I suppose that it would be all right. Yeah, I, would, I, don't, I, I don't know how old the children are, so I... It's, I don't uh, know how old... Yeah, right. I, the, the vocabulary might be beyond uh, young people. But so. I could use that. That would be good for ch kids nowadays since they speak in monosyllabic text, Twitter nonsense. That would be, that would be a good thing. Well, and that, you know, Gary used a lot of big words, though. I don't know. Was that you or is that Gary? Because we always joke about how you need a dictionary with you sometimes when you read uh, the, the three core books. No, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not change that. If, <laughs> if it was an appropriate word, it stayed. Uh, Gary was, uh, he, he had a good vocabulary. And also he was working with people, uh, Kim Mohan and, like I said, Penny Williams, uh, other people who were working with him to create these things, who gave him source material, who, who did his research for him, were also literate. So you had the opportunity of, of a lot of minds putting things together for the sake of the book. And I didn't have to add those. Okay. Yeah, because we, 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 just, we just joke about it. So, uh, yeah, that it's, 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 you, you learn he new words. He didn't write down to his readers. He did not uh, talk no. down. He expected if you if you want to know what it was and you didn't know, you would look it up. Yes, I, yes. And I, I mean, you know, whatever vocabulary, I definitely these books were an interest. I mean, they, they were an influence to that because I'm like, what's that word? And instead of just, yeah, you could get it through context, but a lot of times you had to pull out a dictionary back then and figure out what it was. Like, oh, that's... Um, well, and, look and, at and, it this way. Look at it this way. He incorporated... Uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric, Elric in it, and those are very literate. Mm. So he was reading those and obviously understanding them. So there's no no problem there incorporating something. Gary so, was brilliant. Yeah, and 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 clearly, you know, it's just so fascinating that time where uh, this confluence of bright people who had a passion for things got together with other bright people in, a, in an area that, you know, again, no offense to uh, middle Wisconsin and that area. It's not like it's known as the hotbed of, uh, you know, it's not Oxford. It's not like the, uh, the, ink, the Inklings in, in, in England, you know, this, this area that came together and, and really, again, changed the world. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, in, like in music scenes that just, they did not appear where they were supposed to appear. And so it's a lot of credit to all the folks who were there and their contributions. So what are you working on now? Uh, what's your latest work? Uh, well, you know that I was working with Robert Aspern on The Myth Adventures. He wrote the first 12. We wrote the next six in a short story collection together. I've written two since he passed away, and I'm working mm -hmm. on a third. I have a, uh, a book that I'm doing with Eric Flint in his 1632 universe. I'm writing a lot of short stories right now, and, and Bill's after me to get back to the books uh, but I'm also teaching uh, writers' workshops now and again. So I have other projects that I will get to in, in the near future. I really want to. I've, I've got a couple of things that I have not tried before. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. And, and, uh, as, you know, obviously, the pandemic has affected everyone. Uh, you know, how, does, 
How has that affected your career or as plus or minus? Is, is there something you're going to write about the pandemic? Uh, is there some, you know, that you could talk about? You know, what, well, we're still in the middle of it, but is it, you know, your takeaway from a creative perspective, uh, what, what, what effect has this had in your career at this point? It's going to, it's going to affect everybody. And I predict that no more than 18 months from now, there will probably be a movie or a TV movie about it because that is about the time frame it takes to produce or publish the next thing. Uh, when Mount St. Helens erupted, there were suddenly two volcano movies 18 months later. So that's about the gestation period. I do not choose to jump on that bandwagon if I can possibly avoid it. I just turned in a project, which, which was accepted, so I'm, I'm really pleased about that. When I started to write it, the pandemic was, was uh, poking at me and saying, here, do this, this include this. No. Um, in the end, I had uh, my characters isolated for a different reason. But I could write from how it would feel to be isolated uh, and working against the common enemy, you can, you can take the whole thing apart and use its various components in writing. You don't have to write about a pandemic and how it's making people isolated and how it's setting one group against another. I do know somebody who is, in fact, uh, jumping on the bandwagon, but his take will be completely different than anyone else's. And that's, that's, that's the joy of, of every creative mind. No two people write the same story given the same writing prompt so you could say here um here are you 18 people i'm going to write it i'm going to have an anthology and here's the base question and you get to answer this question in any way you want and it will all be different Mm. so we'll see uh we'll see who uh publishes first so my idea is good for the movie is we've had Sharknado. Now we need COVIDnado, <laughs> where the tornado brings in the COVID, the disease in there. That's what we need. Sh- uh, COVID sharks that are flying around. That's what. That's, that's basically what's oh. happening, isn't it? Yes. We have well, that. What else we could go wrong? That. I mean, we started in December, right? <laughs> oh, 2020. What could possibly, you know, who would have thought we were going through this? So let's have that now. So. But how do you how do you get the same absurdity of having a a shark come out of a tornado and eat somebody in the middle of say a news report? Yeah, it's we haven't found the funny yet about the pandemic because all we have is this invisible enemy that's killing people. Yeah, yeah. too soon, James. Uh, find find yeah the the too soon does, does come into effect. <laughs> and yet you mean sh- you mean COVID headed sharks that are flying through the tornado oh, God, is I, not. I had a friend who, who was live uh, live streaming his comments about Sharknado, I think Sharknado 2 or Sharknado 3, and they were so funny, I was crying. He was, he was running, we were, I was reading his, his posts on Facebook while we were all watching the movie, and it was hilarious. Yeah. When you figure out how to do that with COVID virus, y'all let me know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I, th- I think hum- I think nature is telling us that we've had shark at least five sharknadoes. Maybe our time has has come on this planet. We've wh- what else is, is there to be said? It's time for some some other species to come. We've we've done five sharknadoes. That we, is our, we have that had is the our, perfection of that quintology. Where right. can we possibly go? It is time for someone else to ascend, and and that's sure. what COVID is here to do. So, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that, maybe that's <laughs> on that's that the, note. And, that, and that's depressing. Well, we are in the eighth layer of the abyss. I mean, this is this is the kind of thought process we're having. So, 
somebody somebody will come up with a way. The trouble is that sharks are mostly easily avoided, and putting them uh, combining shark tornado shark tornado yeah we ought to put these things together. <laughs> That's really funny because it is a juxtaposition that that makes you say, what the. Uh, when you when you explain to me how we can well we can make a virus funny by making something stupid come out of it instead of death, um, sure, we we can go there. Hold, hold it's on. right there. We're, we're on our might, way. But it but it also might be too soon for it. Yeah, hold on. Let's see if I have a quote. Someone and also, say, when you have when you have a shark attack, it it generally attacks one person. It's one person who is suffering. And oh. like Mel Brooks said, if I get a paper cut on my finger it's a tragedy but if you fall down a manhole and die that's comedy <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's so, comedy <laughs> somebody else yeah, it's all funny until to, to you yeah the uh one of our folks did you did you participate in the thieves world anthologies were you part of did you do any work in that i did i did not the first 12 the first ones that uh robert aspirin and lynn abby did together uh, was well underway when I came in, into the scene. Uh, oh. Lynn was actually one of my mentors, mm. and I appreciate all the all the help she gave me as as a neophyte writer. But when she revived it, she asked me in. She wrote the first novel, uh, which I think is called Turning Points. Then she did two anthologies since with Tor Books, and I was in both of those. So I I have my own character and my own little niche in uh, in the series. So I keep hoping that it will be revived. I hope Lynn can find a way to do that. Awesome. Great. Uh, again, thank you, Jody, for your time. This oh, was wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. And, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, if we run the game, we will definitely send you that information. We had a really good time uh, running that. That's a lot of fun. We'd love to have Bill and you on and whoever else you'd like. Uh, uh, if, you, if you like this kind of pedantic nonsense for hours at a time, we'd be happy to expand that. That's, that's, that's great. Anytime. Let well, me know. Thank you now so much, Dan. Wait, 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 wait. She's got to roll a D10. If she's that's got, right. do you have a D10 nearby? That's right. Do I have a D10? Whoa. <laughs> you know, we, all, we often talk about this, that there's, there's two kinds of gamers. Those who show up with one set of dice and those who have, you know, the, 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 Basically, the bag of holding. <laughs> and they, you're clearly the latter, not the former. I have the bag of holding die roller. Okay. Yeah. What do you okay. want me to roll the d10 for? Here it is. So that, this is on a scale of one to ten. How well this session went? Ten is great. One. Oh. And if it didn't go well, I'm sure it was us, not you. So don't That's take right. it personally. That's right. I don't remember what Bill's was. Did we have Bill roll? Bill, he did. Yes. It is uh, pretty good, I think. Oh, I rolled a three, but I thought it was a ten. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Let me see. We'll see what Bill... We could switch it out. That's what's great about being in charge of this. Bill... That's true. DMW. That's right. B uh, Bill rolled a seven. Uh-huh. Oh. So I don't know if you're competitive or not. We don't mean that's to right. cause trouble. That's, that's right. competitive. All right, good. We're cooperative. Uh, that's the essence of what we do. That's you're awesome. on the same team. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, oh, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank it's it's like a, we had no idea the work you had done and so it, it's been so much fun to learn about it um, and hear about typing the manuscript up so uh, it, it, it's been well, a pleasure thanks for asking it's it's one of those pieces of dusty ancient history that hardly ever gets brushed off yeah I, I feel like we, we scooped this story here that's right that's <laughs> awesome well thanks right. to Bill I mean he kind of you know he kind of just casually mentions it and we're like wait a minute what what did you just say that's old, Who? That's old news to him 
Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I heard that. I've heard that 37 times. Like, no, wait a minute. You, you're telling he talks me- about it all the time. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, I might, I might have done that. I had a New York Times bestseller, but when I was 19, I typed the player's manual, DMT, and monster manual. So that's there. Right. Well, that's, that's true. Hey, we consider we consider that more significant, frankly. So That's right. Well, thank you again so much for, so, for, so, much, for, for Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. And we will see you next time on Grog Talk. Take care. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.